Hi, my friends. My name is Yarrow, and you're listening to the Creative Devotion Podcast. I am kind of about to flop down. <laughs> that is my mood. I'm so done with 2022, to be honest. And it feels really good to admit that. I'm tired. I am so exhausted in my bones. And I've really loved the work that I got to do this year. And looking back, I feel happy about that. Um, but there's also like a lot of tiredness and some world weariness, I guess. So I'm looking forward to snuggle down for the holidays for an extended break. I might publish some solo episodes. I might not. I don't know. I don't want to make any promises. But before I go into that sweet space, I did want to send a really beautiful interview treat your way. This one is with Monique Francis, who has been part of my community for, I think, a few years now. Um, actually, Monique is in a co-working session that I'm facilitating as I'm recording this. And yeah, she's just so, so wonderful to be around. I really appreciate how she so shows up as an artist and in community with so much thoughtfulness and care and um, beautiful insight. So we talked about all kinds of things such as creativity as a refuge, exploring different arts and crafts, building community and what that means in this time. And also about the kind of DIY domestic, monastic, oh my god, monastic life and not being part of transactions so much. I love talking to Monique all the time and so I hope you will love listening as much as I loved recording this. And yeah, wherever you are, I'm sending love to you. I hope that you get to have some downtime too, that you get to enjoy some kind of holiday, whichever you celebrate in your own way and that you're feeling you can wind down. That is my wish. Thank you so much for listening. Hi everyone. Oh, I feel very blessed this afternoon with this conversation. It's just such a cliche thing to say, but I'm talking to Monique who I've known for what feels like a really long time, but as I was sitting down to prepare for this conversation, I realized, I realized it might not actually be that long. It might just be a year or something. Um, but I've seen her unfold in such beautiful ways and there's often such deep resonance for me when she's sharing in the livelihood community or elsewhere, especially when it comes to creativity and slowness um, and being in the world, which is a really broad thing to say, but it feels true for me. So I've been looking forward, forward to this conversation for a while and there's so many different things that I'm really excited to ponder. And I think to me, talking to Monique always feels like a bit of an integration, um, like a landing of something that maybe had been on my mind for a while, but I, I hadn't quite articulated yet. And that's really precious to me, you know, when we have these connections where there's a mirroring and you're like, oh yeah, huh suddenly this human mess makes a little bit more sense to me so um Monique thank you so much for making time I'm really excited to talk to you I'm very excited too um that was a lovely introduction thank you I feel all like warm and gooey now uh <laughs> like a hot cinnamon bun um I uh I kept checking the time zones to make sure I had it correct because we're we're in we're on different continents. And I kind of am really digging the fact that you're in evening right now and I'm in the morning and uh, just kind of waking up, starting to come into the day and you're starting to wind down your day. And I'm hoping that that's gonna seep into our conversation. Um, I too was wondering about how long we've known each other because you feel very familiar to me. You feel um, like a cousin or some sort of kinship there. It's been a few years, but I think I kind of lurked around me as I tend to do around your online communities without engaging too deeply. And then maybe in the last year and a half, two years, I started responding more to the questions you would ask. And I started attending more of your workshops and I just am always very um, 
inspired by the questions you asked and affirmed like it's like I feel someone else is thinking these things too someone else is curious about this and so um, I find that really uh, exciting and uh, it makes me realize that thinking the same way we can have a kinder more just world yeah so thank you for inviting me to come on to this podcast of yours Thank you. Oh, that is wonderful to hear. I always love when people feel comfortable taking their time and coming closer. You know, I think sometimes things just happen so fast on the internet and it doesn't have to be that way. I'm totally open to people looking. So that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love what you said about the morning and the evening. That's, that's really true. Mm. Ah, so I always like to begin by asking people about their current creative practice, or I like to ask what their creative nature is, and you can take that in any direction you like. Maybe you want to share about what you're physically making with your hands at the moment. Maybe you want to say something about how you identify or what creativity means to you. Mm -hmm. Boy, well, creativity to me is... Um, a lifeline. It's my measure of how well I am doing. It's a measure of how um, safe I feel. And it's a measure of how, um, um, I, yeah, safe. I think that's the best word for it, how safe and grounded and connected I feel. Um, my creative practice is probably like a three-year-old in preschool who's ate too much sugar. I wanna do all the things today. And um, so my creative practice right now is quite scattered. I'm really fascinated with uh, mono printing, um, different types of, of printing. So I've been getting into cyanotype and, and I'm probably mixing up the words. Cause like I said, I'm a three-year-old who's had too much sugar and printing using like, uh, turmeric mixed with alcohol it's mixed with vodka and or spinach juice or beetroot juice and then using the sun to bleach an image onto a piece of paper so I'm really into printing lately and my most abiding practice is knitting my father taught me how to knit when I was very young I think I was four or five years old and I've been knitting ever since and I adore knitting it's something I do every day, whether it's just one row, two stitches, or it's four hours of knitting. It's, it's something I do every day. And when I find myself becoming resistant to knitting, that's a clear indicator that um, something's off with me, that I need some support somewhere, that I'm hurting somewhere. And um, so I guess, yeah, that kind of circles back to how I, how I see creativity as a barometer of my well-being. And, and I've folded it into a professional vocation and uh, being a creative person. And uh, yeah, it, it's just, it's fully woven into my life. <laughs> I'm laughing because that's the name of my business, fully woven. But I really am creativity is fully woven into my life and I as I think it is in everybody's life but we're not practiced in witnessing our own creativity and others yeah um what I'm hearing reminds me so much of how creativity is a source of well-being but also self-knowledge and and depth and beauty and I love the name of your business it's really beautiful and I got to see it kind of like evolve a little bit this past year mm -hmm. and that was really beautiful to witness so yeah do you want to tell us a little bit more about um what that looks like like how do you engage with your work day to day and what is your vision I know you have some really beautiful projects that you're focusing on at the moment oh thank you I I, I was um a counselor, a somatic, a somatic therapist and a narrative counselor for a very long time and also an administrative assistant at a women's um, support agency. So I, um, I've had a pretty, um, I don't know what the word, is it right brain where you're quite logical and practical career? 
And then I kind of hit my like fifties and I'm, I've always been creative. I've always, I grew up in a very creative environment. Um, and uh, um, my dad was a carpenter and he built houses. So, I mean, his livelihood was a creative, was a creative practice. And he always uh, told me, you know, if you can get paid for what you enjoy, then that's probably the best route in life. And I, I've never really thought of myself as an artist or an artisan. Um, I definitely thought of myself as a craftsperson. Um, but recently in the last uh, maybe seven or eight years, I've definitely sunk into the role of artist and um, I've let go a lot of, of my um, professional work and have been able to just focus on my artistic practice. And um, I have started a contemplative um, arts group, a contemplative arts maybe community collective with uh, some other people. And we're just at the very beginning stages right now. And it's going to be an online hub. Uh, I feel, I feel really quite strong about online communities in that they're needed and they kind of blossomed up because in response to the pandemic. And now I'm starting to see them kind of wither away and I'm sad. I'm very sad about that because I'm predominantly housebound with disability and being able to be in community with other people online or to visit art galleries or to attend um, a music festival, to learn how a new style of weaving online these last couple of years has been I have felt connected to community um, like I haven't been in, in a very long time. And so myself and these two other people, we've started this group and we, both of us, all of us, both, there's three of us, all of us feel strongly that there still needs to continue to be online spaces. So we're starting to build one. And um, yeah, I, so I, yeah, I think that's all I have to say about that. I ran out of brain juice. <laughs> yeah, no, that was beautiful. Um, again, so much resonance. I, yeah, identify as a craftsperson too. And I really feel that grief um, of like seeing things change and um, go back to in-person versions as someone who's disabled and home a lot of the time and who's gotten so much joy out of the ways that we connect online the last few years. Someone recently told me that the internet is it's an, in its Saturn return. And that made so much sense to me. And it kind of made me hopeful because I really think there is a sense of reckoning um, where we, um, yeah, really thinking about the ways in which we, um, you know, relate to this technology, how we want to use it, what it means for our movements and our politics and our mental health. And I hope that beyond this current kind of things dying back a little bit and going, you know, maybe losing the accessibility that it had the last few years, there's a kind of solidifying of, of the technology and um, the dynamics and, and the mind or the intention that we bring to these kinds of spaces. So that is something that's giving me hope. And it's, I just also want to say, I always love being in community with you online. And I'm so excited about what you're doing. Um, I, um, I want to ask so much more. And I think the, the next thing I'm really curious about is the fact that you've had so many different lives. Um, I can't believe that you're in your 50s now and you know, whenever we talk, I feel like I, I get to learn this new aspect of things that you've done in the past. Um, and I'm curious about your spiritual life. You, it sounds to me like you've always been really committed to your spirituality and that that has taken different shapes and forms. And I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, yes, that is 
<laughs> is a big part of my life. And um, I just, I can't explain it. Like, I don't know where it comes from. It certainly wasn't an influence around me when I grew up. I grew up in a very agnostic, an angry agnostic home. Um, but I used to dress up as a nun. I would put a pillowcase on my head and I made people call me Sister Mary Martha. And I never went to church. So these, I'm thinking these were things I picked up maybe like in books, because those were the types of books I would take out of the library as books about nuns or maybe uh, television. Because um, there certainly wasn't any religious influence in my childhood, but it was something that I was very much drawn to. And then in my late teens, I, um, got very involved in um, pagan earth-based religions. But I mean, this is way before the internet. So it was hard to find community. And I was really drawn to um, like a very traditional uh, practices. Like I love candles and incense and bells and costumes. I love the theatrics of church and uh, I eventually ended up, I landed in an Anglican church. And uh, I, I, of course, had gone through many other churches and temples and tried out various flavors of different spiritual communities and faith communities and landed in an Anglican church, quite a progressive um, inner city church. And I, when I was 20, Four, 23 or 24 like it doesn't happen within a few weeks it's a couple of year long pro years process I took my vows and I was a third order Franciscan Anglican monastic so third order just means I didn't live in a convent um, I didn't live cloistered I didn't wear a habit I didn't wear anything defining me as a religious person who had who was under religious orders but I had um, a daily a rhythm of life that I followed and I took vows, um, poverty, um, obedience and chastity. And uh, obedience I struggled with and it was ultimately led to me renouncing my vows. I ultimately, after um, I was in that order for 18 years and I renounced my vows well, almost a decade ago. Actually, it is a decade ago now. It was the spring of 2012. And um, I still grieve the loss of that community, despite the fact that I just could not reconcile. Uh, I couldn't reconcile it with my own personal standards and values. I couldn't reconcile the fact that the people I loved the most were being excluded from a community that I also loved. Just, I couldn't be there anymore. Um, so I'm still looking for, I'm still a very monastic person. I'm still looking for community. And this contemplative arts community I'm currently building up is a mix of people from different faith communities. And uh, I don't know, I haven't found anything and I don't have any answers and I'm still questioning. I'm still open, I'm curious, um, but I very much exist in a gray uh, liminal space. I, I, I I really shy away from defining what spirituality is or what spiritual experience is, because I think it's very personal and very private and it's a transcendent experience. So it's hard to capture in words. I can allude to it. I can, I can give reference to sensations that I experience or thoughts that arise. But um, I guess this is where my creative practice helps me express and helps me explore my my spiritual nature. Yeah, because creative, creativity, creative practice, artwork is, I don't need to use words. It doesn't need to make sense. It mm -hmm. doesn't even need to make sense to me, but it's just a way to get it out and express it. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense to me. Thank you. And by the yeah. way, I muted you just now just because there was a background noise, but feel free to do that as you wish I should have said that in the beginning um yeah I I think 
this really opened my eyes just now to what a monastic life can be, I guess. And I'm I'm so happy that you found your own way of relating to that. And um, yeah, taking vows is something I've always been really fascinated with. Um, I've taken some to myself in 2015 and I really like working with them. And I really also relate to this desire for depth and community and and clarity and framework maybe I don't know if that's how you would describe it but um I think that's something that I've always been seeking in spiritual community um and I actually really like working with limitations in some ways which I know is something that we have talked about in uh, in the context of developing our work and our businesses um so maybe that's a thread that we can pick up a little bit more because we're both um, working and living with limited amounts of energy and, and some disabilities and chronic pain. And that's um, something we talk about. And sometimes it really feels in our community, like, you know, I can hold it as a gift. I can see that it's giving me opportunities to see things that I haven't been able to see before. It's giving me permission to really slow down. Um, it's allowing me intimacy with grief that's really teaching me a lot. But of course, it's also really hard sometimes. And it's just great to be in company with people who really get that. Um, so maybe you want to say more about how you feel working within limitations and yeah, what that's feeling like for you at the moment. Yeah, that's beautiful. I, I do really like these conversations around limitations that we have in our in the community that you hold. I well the two all three vows that I took were about limitations. Obedience and I and chastity, which I understand my interpretation of chastity is sobriety, um, equanimity. I would prefer to say I took a vow of equanimity. And that is an ongoing everyday yoga practice, <laughs> finding balance, looking for balance, understanding balance, embodying balance, equanimity, peace, calm. My cat has things to say. Hope that's all right. An unexpected guest. Um, welcome. Yes. <laughs> And then poverty, that's, I think, the one that I dwell in the most because, yeah, the, the, the limitations that, the dis, that my disabilities place on my life, that is a poverty. My finances, come here, Tegman. My finances, that is a poverty. And I, I can't say I've ever been wealthy. I have... I have been adjacent to wealth. I've been a live-in nanny for wealthy people. And I've seen how they grasp and hold on to their wealth and to their possessions and how it's all very precious. And the, the possessions become more precious than the um, relationships. And um, I'm really simplifying things here. But I can find that um, excess wealth also takes away and and a holding wealth and, and banking it and putting it into land, I mean, just contributes to denying other people opportunity. So I want to see, you know, a more equitable sharing of resources and, and that the earth isn't just for us for taking, like I'm not just talking about economic finances. And I know you are not talking about just money as well, Yaro, but talking about energy and I'm talking about the world and agriculture and people we're not resources we are entities we are beings and um, have a right to just be to not have to be part of an equation to not have to be part of a transaction or capital and um, so I actually find um, peace in being a person who lives in poverty. I find it um, stabilizing. I have, I have to qualify and say, even though I live in poverty, I also live in Canada and I'm 
I'm a white presenting, um, you know, I'm, I have a lot of privilege. I live in a subsidized disability suite in Vancouver, BC. So I live in the most expensive city in Canada. And it's a pretty expensive city, even North American standards, global standards even. And I have a home and I have extra money. I can afford to eat the way that I want to eat, which is kind of quirky. I'm very thankful that I can do that. I have two pets. I can afford to keep them. I have you know, I have things and I have a comfortable life. So even saying I live in poverty sounds like a bit of a deception. On paper, I do. And when it comes down to it, it's relative, right? So in my society, yes, I am one of the people living in poverty. And for me, that is reflected in the work I do in the people that I want to be in community with. So I'm most comfortable with people who also struggle financially, who also struggle with capacity limitations that are due to disability. And um, yeah, I, <clears throat> I hadn't thought about it, Yara, until you brought it up about having a, a top limit, like a, a, I had thought about it, but I hadn't articulated, I guess, about, the, in when you're thinking about your work and, and business and yes, we've, I think we're pretty simpatico when it comes to sliding scales and scholarships and being financially accessible, but then at the other end of the scale, how high do you wanna go? I remember I had one um, um, somatic therapy uh, a client and she was really uncomfortable paying my my fees she wanted to pay me like three or four times more than what I was charging and I was uncomfortable with that <laughs> it opened up a really great conversation and then so for a few years I had these tiers of people who could pay industry standard for what I was offering and then in return the money that's that they paid me helped me so that I could offer more scholarships so that I could offer more free workshops so always a learning opportunity <laughs> oh gosh yes absolutely I yeah thank you so much for sharing that I um that makes a lot of sense to me and it's I'm not surprised that you've had those encounters where people really wanted to pay more um yeah I think there's just so much charge to money and how we trade with each other and to give background to what you mentioned about upper limits I made a post I think last week maybe um about embracing upper and lower limits and I also spoke to that on my business podcast if people want to listen um but basically what I was saying was that I think it feels good and safe to me to kind of acknowledge my privilege um and contextualize that in a similar way that you do you know yes we we have homes and we can eat the way we want to and there's really actually not much more that I want beyond that I really want to feel safe in my housing I want to feel that I can kind of eat sort of what I want locally um I don't need to go to fancy restaurants but I I like I like nice food <laughs> a lot <laughs> and um and it yeah it feels good to kind of identify a lower limit for so that I have a place from which I can navigate boundaries in my work as well and say you know this is what I'm willing to trade for it doesn't always have to be money there can be sliding scales and there can be scholarships but also I need to make sure that I'm not feeling resentful and that my basic needs are being met uh, within reason and then there's this narrative I think um, in the world of law of attraction maybe new age stuff I don't know how I would best uh, describe that um, that stream of thought that I mean but I'm thinking about this idea that we should always be aiming for more and if only we change our thought patterns then we attract more money and we can all be millionaires because there's infinite abundance in the universe and I think that's just misunderstood because yes there is infinite abundance in the universe in lots of different ways in intimacy and beauty you know like really connecting with how beautiful this planet is that we get to have sunshine every day. I mean, you know, mm. clouds, of course, 
<laughs> but you know there is just a, an abundance of so many things and I can feel really infinite in my heart but I want to get away from this narrative of we should all be millionaires and we should all be flying first class and mm. yeah right and and thinking that that is empowerment really breaks my heart especially in women entrepreneurial communities where it's like you know that, that sometimes there's this catchphrase like you get so successful that you retire your husband and I mean there's many layers on which I can't relate to that because it's a very heteronormative idea and la 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 and does your husband even want to retire what does that mean but I think at the end of the day like we said right in the community like no one needs to fly first class I don't think that many of us can actually enjoy several long distance holidays per year I think that's overwhelming to me personally I think we need to root down where we are and really enjoy that and embody that and revel in the pleasure we can experience in our own landscape so that we can come can become committed to protecting them and no one needs a property portfolio um, especially not in stolen land but everyone needs a home and so anyway and then this is I just I will end there because it can go very long but another thing that I see often come up is like you know why don't you open yourself to infinite success because you can always redistribute the wealth that you don't need but I think that's it's problematic for lack of a better word when especially around white people when we say you know like I will just become this great philanthropist and, and actually that is holding power in a way as well, right? Because then we're the people deciding who gets to receive that wealth when actually mm -hmm. that's something that we should do as a community and marginalized people should get to say what they need resources for. And that's not something we need to hold on to, I think. Yeah. Oh, I so agree. Lots of head nodding and yep. And high fives over here. Absolutely. And I, and I do think I have infinite abundance. I have infinite creative abundance. A creative energy is self-sustaining. It feeds it. The more creative I am, the more creative energy I have. It's just the more I love, the more love energy I have. I, that to me is riches. That to me is the golden ticket in life. And maybe there is unlimited abundance and resources in the universe. But maybe it's not for humans. Maybe it's for the bumblebees. Maybe it's for a little salamander who lives somewhere in the Amazon forest. I mean, maybe it's not for humans. I don't think it is for humans or not exclusively for humans. I just, yeah. <laughs> the Anthropocene um, uh, era, is that, I, I think that's the term. Anyways, I'll get us way off track on that. <laughs> I read a really mind melting book about this like human centric era and how it's, it's coming to an end. We're not the only species and uh, it's not all for us. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And also, I'm curious and I feel that in you and I think that's why I can access it in myself. Ah, good company, you know, that it's, it just can do so much for you. Um, I see in you and I feel myself that it's, there's such joy and pleasure in that surrender of being right-sized, right? Like if I, if I stop forcing myself to be bigger than I need to be or to constantly grow and like reach for more and more and more, Ah, oh, it's so peaceful. It's so mm -hmm. peaceful. It really is. It really is. I'm I don't I I used to be really angry with my family of origin. I used to really dislike them and don't need to go into that. Um but as I'm becoming older, I'm starting to see so much of myself in my family of origin. I'm estranged from my family, but I'm starting to, that's why I think why I talked about my childhood a lot in this conversation, because I'm starting to see a lot of, I'm remembering my childhood and I'm remembering it, remembering it with more of a fond lens. I'm remembering the good times and I'm remembering the things that made me who I am today. Things like being, um, a resourceful, crafty person, someone who puts, eats an orange, saves the rinds, puts it in a jar with some vinegar to make some cleaning fluid. 
Um, a person who makes her own laundry soap, a person who, you know, keeps dried beans in a jar from the beans that she grew on her patio last summer, harvested in the fall, and then over the winter made some really fantastic bean stews. Like those were things I learned from my family. And um, it gives me so much joy to just go about my little life, my little big life, <laughs> and just do little things every day that are satisfying. They're simple and they're so ridiculously satisfying, delicious. And I don't need to go faster. I don't need to go bigger. I think I would be really unhappy. I'd be extremely tired. I'd be cranky. I'd be angry. I'd be irritable. I just know that this is a much, much better pace for me. I'm, I enjoy this pace so much better. My slow life, no, I, I don't want to change it. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I feel so similar. As you were talking, oh God, I love talking about food. I just decided that I'm going to slow roast those three little potatoes that I have in my fridge. I'm going to roast them for so long that the skin is going to crinkle. And then I'm going to eat them with salt and hummus. <laughs> I'm so excited. Perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, also in the bigger picture, I really relate to that. I feel I'm 36 now and and I I feel I got away in so many ways. Um, I don't know exactly what that means actually, but you know, I, I'm disabled now. I get to work really, really part-time. I don't really want kids. I, I might want to be involved in friends' kids in the future, but... Um, there isn't really another box that I'm needing myself to take in this decade or even the next. And that feels so spacious. And I really feel that is one of my greatest gifts. And yeah, it's really lovely. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I, I wanted to ask you so many other things. And I think what I'm most curious about, if you're happy to share a little bit more about that, is your relationship to grief and somatic so I know that you work as a grief yeah. counselor and working with the body has always been really important to you mm. and it, yeah like and and also and I hope that doesn't sound weird or ageist but you've seen these threads in different decades before the internet and that's something I'm really yeah. curious about because I don't know another way right like the internet came about at least in my life when I was about 11. So that was so formative and it'd be cool to hear more about what happened before that. Yeah, the, the internet wasn't around when I first started. I was a hospice chaplain. I started out as a volunteer in a hospice. And then as I dove deeper into my, um, and I took my vows in a religious order, I, um, I also got ordained as the chaplain. So I was a hospice chaplain. And um, well, I've seen a lot of changes. When I first started, this would have been the uh, early 90s, mid 90s. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was her theory on grief and the stages of grief was kind of the, the reigning theory. Um, and I, <laughs> typical of me I kind of bristled with it I didn't I kind of got it but I also didn't think it was wholesome and like it wasn't fulsome enough it didn't fully it, it didn't speak to my understanding because I'd had a yoga practice since childhood um, and so this is where my somatic um, interest came in is so I had an understanding of um, physical sensations uh, and um, being, being part of the grief process as well. So having to, that grief would manifest physically, but then it would also be processed physically and that there would be levels of grief that could not be articulated. So perhaps it would come out in, I don't know, like coughing or, um, gasping or dancing, laughing. Grief can often come out in laughter, like uncontrollable nervous laughter. 
but and then so now we're at 2022 and i'm just digging i am so delighted with the rise of death doulas and all the death work that is starting to become really quite popular because we're so lacking in ritual and community and honoring of death in our society um so i'm 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 heartened to see the return of that and i have not been um doing any hospice work for maybe about two decades maybe about 20 years but i'm starting to feel a tug back towards it and um I sat vigil. The thing that I did most often is I would sit vigil with people as they were dying. So I would, I would just be a presence, a physical anchor. Um, mm, I know, Yara, that you have an interest in death work as well as a, and as a death walker, a death doula. And I'm, do you have any, um, any other, any specific questions? I'm having a really hard time. I think because it's, the work I did in hospice care was wrapped up when I was um, an ordained monastic. And when I renounced those vows, I also let go of a lot of roles that I had. And I'm still grieving that. <laughs> I'm still, it's still um, a really um, tender place for me to visit with. And, but it's parts of me that um, are waiting to come back online. It's almost like I have just um, put them in a darker corner in the garden because they need a rest, but eventually they'll come back into the sunshine. But I haven't done any grief work um, around death for quite a while. But I know that that wasn't even your question. I just happened to go there. It's kind of interesting. I love um, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I, yeah, I, my big, I have been doing grief counseling, like in groups, um, like up until just two years ago, when the pandemic started, I had, I had a couple of groups a week that I would meet with for, um, one was we incorporated some yoga asana, Another one was more meditation-based. Another one was a, an art therapy grief group. So I'm really, I'm gonna have to journal about that a little bit now that because that I, that I zeroed in on death work, that kind of interests me. Mm. Mm. Yeah, me too. Um, that was really beautiful to hear. And I'm really curious too about how that's gonna return into your life as a practice, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's so needed, um, exactly what you're observing. It's really exciting that there's an emergence of these topics being picked up and discussed more and more people training in these fields. Mm -hmm. That's making me feel hopeful. I'm particularly curious about how we can do grief work together online. And I really don't know um, but I just know it's so potent when we do. Um, I had offered a few grief sessions online at the beginning of the pandemic and that hadn't become sustainable to me. And I don't really have an idea of how to move that forward, but it's still like a curiosity, I guess. It's a curiosity in mind too, how to do some grief work. I, I think there's, there's a, cataclysmic amount of grief right now um, in response to the pandemic. And um, it's just, it's just unacknowledged. I'm just, I'm, I'm stunned with the, the numbness of people and just moving on, just getting on with life and, and not even taking a moment to honor their grief and what's been lost and and the injustice to many, many people throughout this pandemic who were seen as, you know, a throwaway population or, yeah, I guess that will take us down a whole other route, but there is, there is a lot of unexpressed grief and I too wonder about how we can collectively, the thing about grief is it's such a, personal and private, very vulnerable 
experience. However, I feel very strongly that it needs to be witnessed publicly. There needs to be ritual. There needs to be a point in a person's journey with grief where they can howl at the moon with a bunch of other people, where they can just shed their inhibitions and be frighteningly grieve, grieving, angry and sad and just be raw in their emotions. There needs to be a space for people to do that. Otherwise it's just gonna leak out in ways that could be harmful to themselves or others or maybe not even harmful, but just kind of keeps the person stuck somewhere. So I, I, I do think about how can we express grief and I myself have some unexpressed grief and I'm wondering how can I, how can I honor this? What are some rituals I can do? And um, how can that be done online? How can, I'm thinking maybe like, one idea I have is um, like sharing, I'm thinking on one-on-one -on -one grief work. So if I'm working one-on-one -on -one with a person sharing a journal, and so it would be like either through, like through the post mail, post back and forth a journal, and we kind of have a conversation back and forth with one another. And then in that journal could be collages, could be paintings, could be a poem, could be a lyrics from a song, could be a letter, writing, free form, could just be gibberish, could be whatever, could, could burn one of the pages and then stick it back in. <laughs> um, poke it with a pencil, like, and just trade it back and forth for however long it takes for the person who's grieving to say, okay, I think I, I think this is done. And then they will have that to keep. They will have that journal to keep for themselves. So that's one way I have been thinking of, but that's not an online route. And I would love to, would love to get some ideas around how to do some grief work online because it's exhausting, right? And we need to be with one another to co-regulate. And so that's, that's, the, that's the tricky thing with online communities is how do we co-regulate? Yeah, yeah. There's been some really interesting writing about, um, gosh, I'm missing the word now, but basically like what happens to our body language and our perception of each other and our intimacy as we are on Zoom so much now. And um, I think there's just more scope to explore, you know, like there are probably things we could do to co-regulate a little bit more. Um, oh yeah, I'll give you a really fun example. And I'm mindful of your time as well, but um, this feels really like relevant. Um, I've been on a, an embodied pleasure workshop with someone called Marissa Correa who was also in a podcast at the weekend. It was really beautiful. And something we did at the end was, I think there were five of us in a group and we did these little circle movements. So we were visible kind of hips up and each person took a turn being the leader of the swaying or the circling around. Um, and everyone else would kind of attune and kind of mirror that movement. And it was really edgy in the beginning because I was like, oh my gosh, am I telling people what to do? But actually it was this really cool play of like being led and leading and seeing how that felt in our bodies. And it really, it was just a cool practice. And I was like, oh yeah, I think there's just so much more to explore with when it comes to attunement, maybe online that we could look into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Gosh, Monique, you've been so generous. And like I said, I want to be mindful of your time, but I wonder if there's anything else that you feel like you haven't had a chance to share and that you would like to share. And then also, what, where can people find you? What should they check out? Mm, yes. So I'm not a total troglodyte. I do have an Instagram account, and that is fully woven. Fully woven is my handle, um, is my motto in life, is my rally cry, my rebel yell. So I have a, and I have a website also fully woven. And um, all my work is currently online. And actually the only work I'm doing right now is on Mondays um, for a few hours in the afternoon, Pacific Standard Time. I hold an online uh, 
I call it a co-crafting, crafted connections. It's, you know, creative collective care, show up for one another, show up for yourself, be creative with other people, um, share, share your work or don't share your work. <laughs> it's, it's always up to you, but it's a quiet space. We check in, we say hello. Some people show their work, some people don't. And then we just sink into silence for about an hour, an hour and 15 minutes and everybody's muted. Some people leave their cameras off, some people turn them on. Um, and I just, I look forward to it Monday afternoon. I know I'm just gonna be hanging with my creative crew and we're gonna be doing what we do. Um, in Vancouver, we have uh, houses in the parks. They're called field houses and the city of Vancouver lets them um, out to artists for free in exchange the artist has to provide a certain number hours of uh, free programming and I used to have I used to volunteer at a field house and uh, so I'm hoping to apply they're starting the program up again for the fall and I'm going to apply so fingers crossed I get a field house and then I can bring in a whole bunch of other therapists and artists and all my professional peers and we can get my fully woven collective back up and running because it's been on sabbatical for about two and a half years. And yeah, so the fully woven website, the Instagram, and then the new community that I'm starting, it's called sanctuaryofthearts.ca because we're in Canada. <laughs> so we have a website and I've just started recording um, podcasts um and we have an instagram account but it's like everything's very baby like we're just so we're we're really right at the very beginning but we'd love for you to come and see what we're doing <laughs> that sounds so beautiful and we'll link to that in the show notes as well and yeah thank you so much monique i would love to talk to you again sometime maybe in the autumn if you feel like it i love having second conversations because there's always so much more to explore but for now Thank you so much. This has been really beautiful and I'm excited to share it. Thank you so much. This was really a sweet conversation.